This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Hello and welcome back. I'm Nikolai Zikolko, co-director of the Mac Institute and professor of management here at Wharton. And this is Mastering Innovation on Sirius XM's business radio powered by the Wharton School. I'm really thrilled now to introduce my next guest, Tim Davis. Uh, Tim is the president of the UPS store. Uh, prior to joining the UPS store back in 2002, uh, Tim held a wide variety of leadership positions for ConnectShip. Uh, Tim is a former US Marine Corps captain and currently he serves on the board of directors for the Marine Toys for Tots Foundation. Tim, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate being on your show. Uh, This is really stars aligning. Uh, Our producer (laughs) didn't know this, but I was actually teaching today to my MBA students the UPS versus FedEx case. So I am completely in the material, and uh, I could really impress my students by saying, oh, and you should listen to my show today because I have the president of the UPS stores on the radio. So well, good. I'll try to help the, help the class. <laughs> wonderful to have you on, on the show. Uh, maybe we can start with a little bit of history here on the UPS store. Um, so it obviously had its origins as mailboxes, etc. And then UPS bought them in 2003, rebranded them as the UPS store, which was kind of around the time, right, when you, when you joined the, uh, the company. Can you guide us a little bit through sort of the thinking of this UPS decision of, of, of why to even buy mailboxes, et cetera, and get into this retail business? A- absolutely. Um, so MBE was the, was the origin company, and it was um, founded in 1980. U- UPS actually bought the franchise in 2001. Mm. Uh, I joined in in the spring of 2002, and we went through the largest rebranding in franchise history in 2003 yeah. to become the UPS store. And of course, that's that's been the recognizable marquee over all of our stores ever since. Mm-hmm. The um, uh, the UPS strategy behind that I think is is pretty clear today. Um, looking back, hindsight's always 2020, <laughs> right. but it, it just connects this brand at a street level mm-hmm. with uh, consumers and small businesses and, and also extends UPS's relationship with some of their marquee customers to their customers uh, through our locations as well. So we, we play a lot of different roles. And, mm-hmm. of course, as a franchise business, we're a small business opportunity ourselves. Right, yeah. So tell us a little bit about who are sort of the main customers well, I think first of all, we're known for Christmas, holiday season, consumer kind of shipping and mm-hmm. packaging. That's the traditional role that I think people, you know, have associated with us, and and that's that's something that we've really been on a mission to evolve because we are a tremendous resource for small businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, small and micro businesses um, are are a big target for us because we hit the sweet spot where those folks are so entrepreneurial minded that they are very good maybe at their concept, their product, whatever they've come up with, but they're not necessarily going to be experts at all the back office activities that we might be able to come in and help with. So, Mm -hmm. of course, we do packaging and shipping for them, but other services that we want to be known for in, in that customer segment are uh, printing, where we can do everything from their business cards and their banners to um, uh, menus, uh, you, you name it, mm-hmm. presentations. Uh, we're just available to them in a lot of other ways besides just packaging and shipping. 
In fact, if you're an entrepreneur, and you, you, I'm sure you're familiar with this um, concept with all the teaching that you've done, you know, people start a business, they're starting it out of their house in their garage a lot of yep, time. The last place you want to put on your business card is the address for that business is your home. Uh-huh. And so uh, offering a street-level address out of our locations can be, uh, can be a big advantage for small businesses as well. So we are definitely targeting the small and micro-business customer. Yeah, no, I mean, this, this, this is fascinating, right, kind of to help uh, all of these people kind of start their, start their um, businesses, their organizations. Um, again, I guess sort of the, the question then is sort of how do you make sure that all of these businesses know about all of these services, right? Uh, when you think about UPS store, oh, I guess it's about shipping. And all of a sudden, right, there's actually a whole suite of other services that you offer. So what has been sort of your communication strategy to in some sense make sure that the value proposition is out there to, to those customers? Well, the... the um, the communication strategy for our, our targeting is is multidimensional. Mm-hmm. Um, I, most recently, just um, last week, September fourth, we were putting out um, a new uh, commercial campaign on, on television called Beyond Shipping, where mm. you know we make specific reference to all the other activities like printing and mailbox services that we can do for small businesses. So th- there's the traditional media that obviously has a has a big reach. Um, we've done quite a quite a shift of resources to digital, mm-hmm. uh, getting on websites with digital publications. Um, but, but I don't want to forget, I know this is an, an innovation discussion, but I, I don't want to forget about the human element. No, of course. I mean, we have over 4,700 locations mm-hmm. in the U.S., and every one of those is independently owned and operated. So as a franchise business, let me tell you, the one thing these people bring to the table it's hard to find in other places is a level of passion that you just won't find. They're, the skin they have in the game is so material to their livelihood that they are hungry for business and they want to connect with their communities. Mm-hmm. And just their word of mouth on what they can do with all the customer traffic that comes in yeah. is an enormous part of our communication strategy. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. You know, we do a lot of communicating to our own franchisees sure. to make sure that they are capable of messaging that um, in the best way possible to all the people that they're dealing with every day. So how tightly linked should I think about the UPS stores with UPS? And sort of clearly there is shipping going on, but but yeah. uh, what's kind of the link there? Well, you got to think of it in a couple of different mm-hmm. ways. Um, first of all, there's clearly just a, a, a world-renowned brand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're 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 clearly associated with UPS with that shield that everybody yeah. recognizes. It's the largest transportation company in the world. Uh, but at the same time. You know, we're we're not just doing shipping as we've been talking right, about. Right. So uh-huh. this this complements um, at the small business and consumer level other activities that we can do. Now those same customers are interacting in most cases with UPS in, in other ways or coming across them uh, in in other ways. So we just are a continuance of, of, of that brand and it's very powerful for us. Um, but the the thing that makes us a little bit different is that we are not just a department of UPS, the the corporation. We're a wholly owned subsidiary. Mm-hmm. So we are unique in the UPS enterprise and family of companies in that we're a franchise business. Yeah. So we're the franchisor headquartered in San Diego while UPS's corporate headquarters is in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we run the franchise part of this retail business to extend this brand yeah. out to all, all the customers that we come in contact with every day in the U.S. and Canada. So 
there's kind of always this organizational question right of how yeah, sure, how how ahead. far to integrate things how far to have things separate and so i'm i'm just intrigued again of saying seeing you know how do you kind of help potentially ups the mothership and how does the mothership help you <laughs> right? well uh, and, I, and sort of the information flow who learns what from whom well uh, it, it flows both ways yeah, i mean right. clearly we are able to tap into an enormous amount of resources that ups the the the, the large fortune 100 company yeah. can provide but you know we provide insights to them too mm -hmm. so i'll give you some examples yeah, of, of how it complements and works both ways um, I mentioned UPS's, you know, marquee customers have an opportunity to use us. And, and we have a, 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 a concept called corporate retail solutions where our function here will work with UPS business development to try to find opportunities where we might be able to add value to the UPS relationship uh -huh. with one of their customers yeah. by, by presenting some of our services and tying all that together. So, for instance, we do a tremendous amount of um, – uh, set-top box returns for uh, cable companies. Mm. People mm -hmm. move. They've got to turn those yep. things back in. They've got to go back. And we provide smart transactions. We're not just shipping a box back somewhere, but we're collecting data at the time of the transaction, and we're moving that data well ahead of the actual shipment, maybe changing locations of where these devices are going to go depending upon the data we collect, which is a huge value to UPS's customer. Uh -huh. And it's convenient for their customer's customer, if, you, if you're following me. So that's yeah. just one way mm -hmm. that we work um, uh, to help benefit UPS. And, of course, we get uh, you know, some advantages of, of, of their resources, too. So it, it, it does work very well mm -hmm. uh, together. Naturally, that shield on, on, on the marquee of our stores helps drive uh, customer yeah. traffic, and it's such a well-known brand that, that it really helps our franchisees yeah. uh, develop relationships in their community. Right. So it, it, it works very well together. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could very well imagine kind of given that you have such deep insight into the needs of really the end customers, at least of a certain segment, not, not business customers, but, but all these individuals. Again, that information must be, right, kind of of, of – interest and importance to UPS thinking about kind of the shipping company shipping part in some sense of UPS right of of how to manage their operations effectively well, and efficiently absolutely right? i mean i think we have a lot of, of very practical and and um, direct uh, insight to those kind of customers those small and micro businesses and you know general consumers that come into our stores i mean that's you know ups watching what we do and seeing you know ups seeing what areas of our business are appealing to those customers I, i'm certain that that's that's valuable yeah. to them you uh -huh. know so right. um there, there's clearly a, a, a good reason for that relationship mm -hmm. to, to be working the way no, it is. Absolutely. Uh, in case you're just tuning in, uh, you're listening to Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nikolai Zikoko, and my guest is Tim Davis, the president of the UPS store. Um, now, retail, of course, is currently undergoing sort of uh, lots of changes, right? Uh, brick and mortar is changing wherever we look. Um, what changes do you see sort of happening with UPS stores adjusting kind of to these changes in the retail business in general? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I, I think there's a big misconception that, that retail um, is, is just floundering in the mm -hmm. wake of e-commerce. And, and one of the things that I really wanted to make sure um, we talked about yeah. today was that you know, brick and mortar and e-commerce complement each other. Um, retail isn't dying; it's it's changing. Yeah, right. And um, these things are not mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. Our our concept is growing because we're staying relevant. 
and we're doing a number of things to remain relevant. Uh, for example, we're, we're in the midst of um, testing some new store concept right now where we're not just dealing with format and color, but we're working on new formats, new fixtures, new uh, workflows uh, to uh, aid both of both the customers that come in with, incidentally, things beyond shipping. So mm -hmm. a print design area, 24-hour uh, access to a workstation environment, those kind of mm -hmm. things. But we're also trying to improve workflow and technology for our uh, franchisees and their associates as well. One of the one of the interesting things I think that will help you know bridge the two worlds is um, a, a concept that we're testing uh, that we call smart lockers, hmm. and you've seen package lockers around. I mean, uh, other transportation companies and even UPS have put some of those out, but we're big believers that that it's the it, it's the marriage between. Uh, self-serve and, and, and human uh, interaction that really is uh, the sweet spot. Mm -hmm. So those kind of concepts in our store, uh, which we're testing now, um, will work well in that people that want self-serve while we're there uh, may have questions, have somebody they can rely on to go to the counter then and help do other services that we provide. If they're coming into our store in the day, they walk in, they have the advantage of picking something up at one of those lockers and, and then doing all the other activity that mm -hmm. they could do there. Um, but clearly, it's not economical to staff those places at midnight. And there's probably not a lot of foot traffic mm -hmm. that's going to come in there and want to do all those services, um, you know, after hours. But with a code that we could pass on to customers that could get them access to a secure area of the store and then either put something in or, or pick something out of one of those lockers, we're still able to appeal to that segment. Mm -hmm. and, and, and now that is an economical way of yeah. serving them. So, you know, labor and rent being the two highest costs of small businesses in, in a retail footprint, you know, you, you want to find economical ways um, to provide services. And it, it's such an on-demand economy now that we are trying to find ways to be both. Yeah. No, that's, uh, I think, interesting kind of to, to think about this mix of um, how can we provide all of these services, but as people want to do more from home or, or not having to go to a store to do things, but, you know, how much can I do digitally sure. versus other things that still have to have happen, right? And so uh, there's still physical boxes that need to get moved. Right? Well, yeah, they're not teleporting <laughs> and, things around. I exactly. mean, we're not going to be the George Jetson uh, exactly. for a while. Uh, so no, exactly. Um, humans so. are still going to be important. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a big believer that as appealing as all the digital um, you know, commerce is, that that at the end of the day, people still want to do business with other people. Yeah. And you're, you're right in that you know, um, people still have to get out and do stuff. Uh, we're, we're putting locations in other stores. So a store-in-store -store concept is big mm -hmm. for us right now. Mm -hmm. If you're already out at a pharmacy or a neighborhood hardware store, yeah. we want to put a location in there. And we're finding that to be very appealing mm -hmm. both to those hosts and yeah. to the customers alike. But at the end of the day, you know, people want to do business with people they know and trust. Right. And the reason, I, and I think that's not going to change. I think the reason e-commerce has really blown up and done so well is that those companies have found a way to eliminate the one thing that prohibited e-commerce growth before. And they, they figured out how to take a lot of uncertainty out of the equation. Right. You know, nobody thought they were going to be, that, that they were going to rush to buy shoes online. Yep. Right. The uncertainty was I buy something and now I'm stuck with it and, right. you know, I've wasted my time and money. But they've done such a good job 
of of taking that uncertain mm-hmm. risk out of the way by making it easy to return them. Yep. Well, that's where our stores come in to you. Like you said, you still got to physically <laughs> right. move the items yep. back. back. Absolutely. And if you can do it in an easy, convenient way with all of the locations, yep. and then for the host company, if you can submit the data that they need to improve their logistics mm-hmm. and transportation legs, well, then I think you, you've got a real sweet spot. And yep. so that's that that's the area that we're we're trying to stay relevant in as well. And mm-hmm. it's a nice play for us. Yeah. So let's come back to one other kind of big decision that that a firm has to make when they're running a system, and that was kind of the franchise versus owning, right? Mm-hmm. So Starbucks owns all of their stores. Actually, FedEx owns all of their former Kinko stores, right? right? And right. this is FedEx office. Uh, McDonald's sort of has a mixture, and you have only licensees, right, or franchisees. That is correct, um, yes. What kind of drives this choice, and what are sort of the pros and cons of going one way or the other? Well, the biggest driver was this is the concept that, you know, UPS evaluated um, almost 20 years ago when yeah. they were making a purchase right. decision. I mean, they, they, they knew that they were buying a franchise business. Yeah. Um, and I think what was appealing then was the, the footprint, the number of locations that were mm-hmm. already stood up ready yeah. to go. Uh, we've just continued that because um, the passion that an independent owner brings to a concept like this, I believe, is unparalleled. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not knocking corporate-owned locations at all, and, and I certainly respect our, our competition. But I, I can tell you from the network meetings that we do with franchisees to the store visits to the conventions that we hold to get our franchisees motivated – I mean, you won't find a more passionate, dedicated group of people who truly have skin in the game. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're not at they are not at risk of just becoming robotic in their approach to dealing yeah. with customers because their personal livelihood depends on their ability to grow that business. We just don't uh, set out to create stores that might become you know lost leaders. We're mm-hmm. we're, we're looking for those people that are out and really going to work the model to to its uh yeah. to its full capabilities. So and that's the yeah. magic in this business I right. believe is the the heart and soul of those franchisees. Absolutely. So how do you you, know, you said you have like 4700 locations. Uh, how do you kind of share innovations, right? Because presumably you have now 4,700 entrepreneurs, right, who come up with great well, ideas. <laughs> it can be a little bit challenging, uh-huh, yeah. So, yeah. you know, they're entrepreneurial for sure, but, uh-huh. you know, once they get onto something that's good, you know, they're, they're going to be reluctant to change it. Right. And, and um, when we need to shift the direction of the company, it's quite a campaign on our part. Uh-huh. Now, what that means for us is not that, that that we can't change direction in this company. In fact, we have to do it just like every company yeah. these days, and you have to do it fast. What it means for us is we can't be on the bleeding edge of technology. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we appreciate and, and embrace innovation and, and um, clearly have to study what's going on and figure out what, what is going to work for us. It, what it means is we have to test things. We we have to put things through the through the filter process, through the rigors of testing, and uh, even once we've done all of that work at our headquarters, we are still going to do a fair amount of this with real franchisees in real markets, and we're going to let the results pr- prove out concepts. So those results will validate what needs to be pushed on out in the network, or they'll help us make a decision to abandon. And I, I think it's a big mistake to get so caught up in the wave of technology that mm-hmm. you start taking reckless um, moves with an organization. So this is the way that mm-hmm. we 
diminish that risk. And the fact that those owners have so much at stake, you know, it really compels us to be even more careful. You're right. just playing with a balance sheet. You're playing with someone's, yeah. you know, opportunity to, you know, send their children to college one day. Absolutely. And uh, I, I think as long as our franchisees understand that our interest is in their interest and vice versa, that chemistry works very well for us. And we have to be very thorough about what yeah. we push out. Almost everything is going to get tested before it yeah. rolls. No, absolutely. Good. Well, gosh, that was a great conversation, Tim. Unfortunately, that's all that we have time for today. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. My pleasure. And I, I, I really appreciated listening to the other um, podcast before okay. with Jenna from yeah. Heineken. And I think researching people by going to the bars is, is a great idea, too. Th- that's so right. She knows, about, she knows how to get out and get the insight <laughs> where, where it really matters as well. So right. great. Uh, thank you for having thank me. Thank you on. so much. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.